My guest today is Liam Nilsson. It is Liam's third time on Off-Trail Learning. The first time we were talking about the Endor Initiative, which was an agile learning center that he started in Asheville, North Carolina. The second time was about who should unschool and who shouldn't. And this time it's about reading. And we have to start with the elephant in the room. Liam, you were unschooled your whole life. Can you even read? I was, Blake, and I can now. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I, uh, I was somewhat of a late reader. Um, I was nine when I learned how to read. I had an older brother uh, who I spent a lot of time with, and um, I would just point to things and he would read them to me. So I think that was a bit of a um, crutch that I had. Mm. Um, but then as a nine-year-old, I think partially out of um, uh, social shame from my schooled friends, I like really pushed myself and then learned how to read. Um, and then read a lot. Then I started reading like almost a book a day for um, a couple of years. And, uh, wait, and then as a teenager, wait, started working. Wait, wait, a book a day for a couple of years? Well, okay, sorry. What kind of books are we talking about? I should, that, I should that's very that. impressive. Like British teen novels. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it was, it, it was not like I was, you know, tearing through uh, the classics or anything like that. Um, uh, maybe not a book a day. I was certain days I was reading an entire book. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Um, All right. All right. And, um, and then in your and, teen years. Right. Then in my teen years, I started uh, working at a library. I continued to read quite a lot and then continued amassing books because um, all the books that the library would throw away, I would get to look through them uh, and bring them home if I wanted them before they uh, made it to the dumpster. So that's when I really started kind of hoarding books too. Um, and I'll, So sometimes in conversations about kind of self-directed education, I've told this story to people um, without revealing that I'm the protagonist in the story, that like I knew somebody uh. who didn't even learn how to read until they were nine. Uh, but then once they did, <laughs> they started reading more than, you know, everybody else they knew and even worked at a library for many years. And um, and then, you know, depending on where the conversation goes from there, I'll do the big reveal that I love um, that kid was me. Yeah. Um, but uh it's like the yeah. story. Uh, the stories about unschoolers who play a lot of video games and then become like famous video game developers, or uh, don't touch math for a long time and then be, you know go to graduate school for for pure math. Uh, yeah, but I still haven't published a book though. I feel like uh, I'll I'd claim that one if I had published something. You still have time, Liam. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's uh, true. Just for for everyone's uh, context, how how old are you? now leah i am 28 28 years young uh yeah excellent and and you were unschooled your whole life you were you were raised in uh, in connecticut and and also norway yep. but that that was only when you were younger right mm -hmm. yeah as a four-year-old i moved to uh connecticut to stanford right outside of new york city in the greater new york metropolitan area uh and um Yep, lived there until I was 18 and then moved back to Norway for a while, um, moved back to the States, lived in North Carolina for a while, and then uh, moved to Denmark, um, which is where I still live now. 
five years later. Yeah, but I've just uh, had my five-year anniversary here. Ah, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to talk about the relationship between self-directed education or unschooling and reading, but we're going to talk about that later in the interview. Uh, the main thrust is just going to be you and I discussing how we learn through reading, mm -hmm. since it, it's such like a, a primary mechanism for, for how all people learn. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, I just thought it would be extremely interesting to talk about the, the nitty gritty of how we approach reading, how we read, where we find books, what books have influenced us, uh, just the, uh, all of that stuff that, that happens around reading but but just gets encapsulated in this very simple word reading, uh, mm -hmm. so that that's where we're going to go. Cool, sounds yeah. good. Let's let's start with just talking about books that have changed our lives, uh, mm -hmm. books that that stand out as like this represents like a peak reading experience uh, to me. And we were, you and I were each supposed to do some some prep for this episode. Uh, I'm going to put you on the yes. spot first, and okay, uh, go ahead. Good luck. Right. Yeah. So, right. You asked me to uh, make that list. And I have to admit, I um, do not have one definitive list of all the books that I've read. Um, <gasps> I, uh, I've many times in my life tried to make such a list, but then uh, if it's physical or digital, I always misplace it or forget it or um, get kind of stressed out about having to remember one more little um, box to tick that uh, I just kind of displace it. So I spent some time, uh, I spent some time remembering some books that I have read that might have interesting stories tied to them. But I, I, I don't want to say that this is like a definitive list of my most important books or anything. Very like well. That. Disclaimer noted. Um, but I can, but a good place to start is maybe with The Hobbit. Um, that was one of the first books that I read uh, when I did learn to read, and I liked it so much that I never read the last chapter, so that I would always have something to come back to, to like to have more of this book. Uh, and I still have never read the last chapter. <laughs> what What do you have to come back to? This just sounds like a a, a terrible plague upon your your life as as a reader, always wondering how the Hobbit ends. Well, um, now I'm. Uh... Oh, I, I'm totally drawing a blank on who dies, but there's somebody who dies in the very last chapter, which I did discover while reading um, The Fellowship of the Ring uh, many years later. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just really liked it and thought, uh, you know, I can reread this one day and then still have more to discover. Mm. So um, that's still on my list of things to do one day. It's like leaving the last cookie in the mm -hmm. back of the Yeah, cookies. exactly. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. 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 All right. What else? What are, what were other big books in your life? And we can talk about like young life versus like more mm -hmm. like modern adulthood. We can separate between fiction and nonfiction. My list is yep. dominated by nonfiction. Uh, I know mm -hmm. that I read more fiction as, as a kid, but I, I've, I've mostly forgotten it. And, uh, and the stuff that stands out for me is nonfiction. I've definitely read more fiction. Um, and that's also more of what is on the um, kind of haphazard list that I've thrown together. Yeah. So um, what's on there? But I can well um, some a work of nonfiction that I um, that that influenced me to some degree was um, Godel Escher Bach. Oh yeah. Uh, 
which I definitely never finished because uh, I got to a part where there was um, it's quite a bit of algebra that I didn't really understand. And um, rather than continuing, I thought, I'll, I'll kind of level up in math and then come back to this book, <laughs> which I <laughs> have yet to do. But um, it's in that book that I first learned about the concept of recursion, um, which I... I don't think I actually have a good enough grasp of to, <laughs> to really explain confidently was, here on I your podcast. In, no, I, and go to Lesher Buck is I, I tried to read that and I think I read the first fifty pages sometime around college also because it's just one of those like sexy like open your mm-hmm. mind up to a whole world of, yeah. of, of thought. In this case, like the what was it, math and music and uh what was the third thing? Go to Escher Bach. We should be able to figure this and out. Art, well, uh, visual art. art it's uh, yes. MC Escher's. Yeah. Yes. The yes. Eternal Golden Braid. Yeah. 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 Uh, which is like an alliterative rhyme to it's G E B, E, G B. Yeah. The the things that that author did with in that book, it was one of those like watershed moments of like. Wow, yeah. like books don't just have to be dry. They don't have to be just a story. Right. Like you you can mess right. with people. You you can Yeah. <laughs> you can manipulate. Yeah, and, he, and there's a bunch of interesting yeah, kind of like lore about it too cuz when um he wrote it in the 70s, he also typeset it himself, hmm. which is pretty unusual for an author to do. Um and uh and so I think there's also like some kind of hidden riddles in that that people can discover. But anyway, um that Reading that book is when I first encountered kind of the idea of um, of at least like popping out the way um, uh, like the way a lot of people write um, code, write computer code, is that you're writing a set of instructions, um, and then if there's an instruction within that set of restru- instructions, you kind of like pop out a line, um, kind of like um, you know when you when you hit tab and when writing an email or whatever, the the text kind of moves to the right. Um, And you can keep doing that if there's an instruction within the instruction within the instruction. Right. Um, And um, after encountering that idea, I was like, ah, ah, what I, what I, what a lot of my life is about is just like, if you pop all the way down, I'm just trying to find time to read and all of the other things, Things that I'm doing are just kind of popped out of that, um, like having a job to um, save up money to. This was as a teenager, but I'm still living at home uh, to, you know, save up money to move out or to travel or later in life to pay rent and uh, buy groceries and stuff like that, um, and like doing laundry and like all of the kind of small objectives that I had. We're all just to service this greater goal, this like this highest level instruction, which is just find time and peace of mind to keep reading. That that is profound, Liam. I, I am I am shocked that you told me earlier you think you're you might not be the right person for this interview to talk about reading. <laughs> it, you have oriented your entire life around just creating time. And, well, and, I don't know. I don't know if that's true reading. anymore. <laughs> It was true at the time. Um, I think. All right, I think... we're we're going to get into our modern reading habits soon enough. But give me a few yeah. more titles of books that that really stand out to you as a reader in, in your in your yeah. life. Um, maybe Mindstorms. If we're mm. sticking with um with nonfiction, nonfiction that is um, Seymour Papert's nineteen eighty book Mindstorms, which is about constructionism, 
um, and uh, uh, the pedagogy built on constructivism. Um, I read that right as I was moving to uh, Denmark uh, to work at the Lego Foundation. Um, Lego uh, funded a lot of the work that Seymour Pepper did at MIT. Um, and so when they later made a um, robotic Lego set together, they named it after this book, Mindstorms, which is about this pedagogy. Uh. Um, and I, I, I mean, despite working in education for uh, like 10 years, I've, I've never really been good at reading books about education. Um, hmm. I think at least in my early years, it was partially uh, because I felt like I was living the books that people around me were talking about, like the Teenage Liberation Handbook, for example, right? Like, um, even, I did read that as like a maybe 15-year-old. Um, and I remember reading it and being like, yeah, um, why did, I, <laughs> why did I spend time, you know, reading this? I already know this stuff. Um, <laughs> I think maybe that uh, turned me off reading about education to a certain extent because it just seemed like preaching to the choir. Yeah, like, like it, you're in the thick of it. Yeah, like yeah, mo most um, books about education or alternative education are written for educators or for parents who are still in a, a more conventional uh, Right, path. and like right, trying to kind of convince them, yeah. yeah. Uh, which I, I like. Um, I regret not reading more about education at a younger age or, or earlier in my career. Um, I think there was definitely a lot of nuance in uh, things that I missed, and so uh, I brought up Mindstorms um, because I thought it... Uh, just approached the question of of setting up your learning rich experiences in a different way um, than I kind of had thought about previously, mm. um, and um, yeah, preparing preparing interactions with ideas. So, like the one I think easy way to understand constructionism is that it's about. Uh, making tools or play materials or toys um, that give children the uh, opportunity to have a direct experience of a phenomena or an idea. So like when a kid is playing with blocks um, and building up a tower and knocking it down and then building up another tower with a bigger foundation and knocking that down and seeing how tall they can build it and at what angle they can place the blocks. They're experimenting directly with gravity and with friction, right? So they're learning from gravity itself. Uh, they're not learning about how things fall because somebody's telling them, uh, but the blocks that they're throwing or building with, they are affected by gravity. Um, so. The this, this is the of, underpinning of a lot of the Montessori approach with younger children also, right? It's like learning by doing in the, mm -hmm. uh, the prepared environment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then where I think constructionism takes that a little bit further is um, approaching learning about modern ideas, like programming, for example, uh, with that same kind of pedagogical uh, approach, like Scratch, the programming language Scratch, uh, was made by uh, students of Seymour Pepper, the author of Mindstorms, uh, as a way for children to build projects in the same way that you build something with blocks, uh, but instead of experimenting with gravity and friction and things like that, you're uh, playing with 
uh, loops and recursion and if-then statements and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Hey, back to recursion. Nice connection. Yeah. Ooh. Well done. <laughs> um, uh, I just want to hit on any other like major categories of books that have affected you. So Hobbit is uh, literature or fantasy. Godel Escherbach is like one of those big ideas types of books. Uh, Mindstorms is education. Uh, any books in like the history or politics or like self-help or travel, you know, any of these other large domains that, that really had a big impact on you? See, this is, this is where I thought you were going to make me look bad, Blake, by asking questions <laughs> like that. Um, because the answer is definitely yes. Um, but can I answer that question on the spot or with the time that I set aside to prepare for this uh, interview? Not exactly. Um, I, I'd say that um, certain books like, um, like The Broom of the System, the um, David Foster Wallace book, it's magical realism. I, I guess it was an introduction to magical realism. Um, oh, like Gabriel and, Garcia Marquez. Yeah. Uh, um, Hundred Years of Solitude. Is, yep. It was also a book that I really loved. Um, yeah, me too. Magical realism makes me think of one of my all-time favorite uh, fantasy book series that I read in college. Somehow I had time to do this, which is His Dark Materials. By Philip Pullman. Mm -hmm. like yep, I, I, yep, I almost went there. Compass, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that uh, I, I know many people's lives have been uh, affected by this series. Uh, it's probably right up there with Lord of the Rings, and which I d did read, and Harry Potter, which I I, I never read. Uh, I until a, a camper at Not Back to School Camp strong armed me into reading the first book, <laughs> and I said, eh. and of course I deeply offended many teenagers who who grew up learning to read through, you know, wanting to read the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But His Dark Materials was this uh, this kind of, yeah, magical realism, this slightly alternate universe uh, that just had such profound uh, insights into human nature. I, I think Philip Pullman is, is a genius. And, and the audiobook of that yeah. uh, is just... Which he a, reads himself, right? Yes, he narrates. And then there's a full cast of characters. Apparently, they had put on like a a play, like a, an adaptation of the book in London. Mm. And they just kept mm -hmm. the characters, the, the the actors from the play. And they said, we're really? going to record the that. unabridged audiobook now. And they just all sat down. And, and there's maybe like 10 total voice actors. And so you, you can hear the same people doing um, yeah. different characters' voices. But, but that... Like I, I've never experienced a book that's better as an audiobook than than that. You know, slowly <laughs> reading it and digesting it because if you have these different people actually narrating it, uh, wow! I, I think I've listened to that audiobook three times, and it's probably like fifty hours uh, in total over the trilogy. Yeah, I, that's I, I first read them when I was I think eleven, and, and I think it was probably the first time. Um, when I read the the last chapter of the last of the three books, I think it was maybe the first time that I like cried while reading a book. Ah, such a uh, powerful such a closing. Super powerful. So tragic. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and it's also, it, there's some, um, I know it's an important book to a lot of people I know for, for different reasons. Uh, I mean, of course it's a, I mean, in, in addition to it being such a beautiful and, 
and complex and compelling story. Um, it was one of the, um, it was, it came out in like 2000, right? Yeah. Right around there. It was it. Yeah. And there are gay characters and a trans character in the book. Um, but it's, it, they're very subtly yeah, that's referred right. to. Uh-huh. And, um, and when the movie came out, um, the church did really react strongly to other elements of the book. Um, and the kind of, uh, yeah, religious... not exactly friendly to the Catholic Church. No, <laughs> um, but that wasn't the kind of focus point. Um, and and uh, yeah, I know it was it was very kind of affirming to um, yeah. a lot of kind of queer youth who read it in the you know early two thousands when there was nothing else like that really in at least children's media. And, and I think just the way that he set up the universe with with Damon's um, being these externalized voices, which are are often often like an opposing gender it's it's just like mm-hmm. anyways genius book we, we shouldn't spend yeah. the whole time dwelling on his dark materials. well actually since we're on that uh yeah. topic have you um you know philip pullman has been for the past like 10 years writing a follow-up trilogy have you read the latest one i, I read the the book of dust and i i wasn't that impressed and i i stopped there the first one okay yeah. well um so it's it's the book of dust is in three parts and the second part, um, I think, is very, it much well worth. Okay. Re- okay. This is this is just a personal um, recommendation to you, Blake. You, the he, he opens it up with this uh, kind of appeal uh, to his fans or to the readers, being like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the the first one was totally <laughs> not what you wanted, <laughs> but sometimes you just need to set some things up." Uh, all right, Pullman. All right. You have a lot and of I, goodwill on yeah. credit. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I, give you a shot. Uh, we'll talk in a moment about how we choose to continue books or to put them down if, if we're not mm-hmm. feeling them. But but first, uh, I wanted to share with you the what I came up with preparing for this episode. I, I realized that there were so many books that were so influential on me on a very narrow uh, time window, uh, essentially age 17 to... 25. Uh, the, the books that, that continue to resonate through my life and that I often will come back to or, or realize at this moment, you know, the, the, how deeply they've, they've shaped my direction really hit in, in, a, in the late teens and early 20s for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I'm not going to talk much about the education books because I've, I've talked about them a lot on uh, other interviews already. Uh, but there, there's John Taylor Gatto, uh, Grace Llewellyn, <laughs> Teenage Liberation Handbook, all the Sudbury Valley School books. Uh, there was one book which sometimes you you have like a super influential book uh, at the moment, and then you put it down and, and you never think about it again. But you know that it was so powerful at that one moment, but it doesn't have like long-term like reread ability. Uh, for, mm-hmm. for me, that was a book called The Happy Child. Did you ever see that? Hmm. No. Yeah, I think I can picture the cover, but I, I yeah, yeah. have not read it. There, there's a happy child on the cover. Spoiler. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, th- that was all around age like 20, 21. Um, uh, but uh, around the same time, I was reading stuff, uh, a bit more classic stuff like Walden was uh, a huge influence on me. Uh, I was reading Fast Food Nation that turned me into a vegetarian mm-hmm. for 10 years. In other like current issues and, and social critique was uh, was starting to I was starting to have an appetite for that. 
um, I, I was really into to Jack Kerouac, and, and I have to admit that I, I continue to be into Jack Kerouac. Just the volumes turned down a bit, but a high school friend got me into it, and he said, like, this is the same high school friend who said, you have to watch Pulp Fiction. It, it's the coolest movie. <laughs> Th this defines what cool is. He also said, you have to read On the Road. And I did read On the Road, and I was like, eh, all right, this is pretty good. But uh, a few years later, I read The, the Dharma Bums, and, and that is, mm -hmm. is a book that I, I realized it got me into a, a serious study of, of Eastern religion. It got me really into backpacking. It, it kind of gave the, the wilderness a, a sort of spiritual element for me. And, and so that one slim book was, was very, very influential, might be right up there on the top. I worked my way through the rest of the, the Kerouac canon also, but, but nothing ever came close to uh to the dharma bums um and maybe just a few others just so we have a few points of reference here as we move forward uh so you know that i i went to to college to study astronomy yeah. and physics right and uh definitely the most influential uh, aspect of that decision was was watching the movie contact and like I, oh, i've yeah. never had a movie push me to to make such a big choice in life. But I also, uh, when I was preparing for this, remembered reading a couple super influential, like popular science books as, as a high schooler, because I had taken a, a physics class that was not bad. And I thought, this is kind of interesting. And we never got into the super interesting stuff in the physics class. It was always uh, the, the less interesting uh, you know, blocks sliding down planes. Yep. Um, but there was one book called The Elegant Universe by this guy named Brian Greene, and I think this is a bestseller. And he was talking about like string theory. He introduced me to the weird stuff that happens in, in relativity. And, and I think maybe what Godel Escher Bach was for you, this, this book, The Elegant Universe, might have been for me. Just sort of like a, I don't understand this, but this shows me how cool and interesting uh, yeah. this, this world, especially like the mathematical and scientific world, can be. Mm -hmm. And then there was one other author, Paul Davies, who I realized has written tons of books about physics. He, I believe I read the book called Other Worlds by him, which was all about quantum mechanics and the weir weird things that happen on the, the, the smallest scales in the universe and, and how entire particles can just blip in and out of existence and borrow energy from the, the quantum field because of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. This was stuff that, that made me feel very cool when I was 16 mm -hmm. <laughs> and reading this because I could talk about this and, and other people would be like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Um, and I, and I, I see now the roots of why I think I wanted to study physics mm -hmm. and astronomy. It's because there was cool stories. There were cool stories waiting to be told, but that is not enough to, uh, to propel one into an actual career uh, in, in science where you actually have mm -hmm. to do the, the math and the science and yep. the research and publish the papers. Put the time in. Put the time in. So that that's just a little sampling. I've, I've got more, but we can we can talk about them. Cool. As, as I, I, I probably should have been jumping in, like cutting you off and stuff. I've I've you never can, read any Kerouac. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'll do that now. Um, I, I went to the Henry Miller Library uh, in Big Sur for a concert once, and then picked up the Kerouac book, Big Sur. Uh, and then uh, before I started reading it, um, I talked to a friend of ours, I believe, Cameron Lovejoy, mm -hmm. uh, who is a big Kerouac fan. Uh, and he advised me not to start with Big Sur. 
Excellent um, advice, Cameron. <laughs> and uh, and so then I um, just never ended up reading <laughs> never any read. Kerouac. <laughs> Big Big Sir is it's a sad it's a sad book. It's written near the end of his life, like a lot of alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, just mm-hmm. you you would read that book and you would say, why do, does anyone think this guy is cool? Okay, um, sure. You have to have empathy built up for him before you, yeah. you reach that that book. Um, Fair so. enough. Anyways, uh, maybe try on the road. You know, classic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, get yeah. there one day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, I, as you re- reduce the number of tabs in your life and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, get precisely. down to just pure reading time. Yeah. Let, let's move on. Let's talk about about how we read because we've been talking about mm-hmm. what we've read. And when I was talking about the the books that I read, almost all of those were print, paperback, or hardcover books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you too. Yeah, for the most part, um, until about a year and a half ago, um, I got an e-reader and discovered Z Library. Um, now we're talking where, about illegal things on this podcast. Go well, on. Um, well, no, that's where I download um, you know books that are in the public domain for free. Um, a lot of times, uh, publishers will you know write a new introduction to a book that's in the public domain and then sell that. Um, and, um, you know, that's totally valid oh. for people who want to do that. Okay. Um, so you but... do not use this to download bootleg copies of oh. electronic books that you could otherwise purchase. Of course not, Blake. Um, thank you. But, but if I were to do something like that, I would find some other way to remunerate the author. Um, but that's, that's changed definitely my reading habits, um, since, living in Denmark, it's a bit tricky to get uh, English language books. Um, There are not a lot of like English language used bookstores. um, And the used bookstores that are here, maybe they have an English section, but it's got like the Da Vinci code uh, and not much else. Um, Yes. So uh, otherwise I do read a lot online, like reading um, articles, I read a lot of stuff on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and articles that people send me. Um, yeah, and, and, um, and this is helpful yeah. because th- this conversation we're having is about reading. It's not about books. We just kind of mm-hmm. started with books, but but when I was thinking about how many books I read per month versus how many articles I read per month, I, I realized it's probably like a a one to one hundred ratio yeah like maybe sure. i'll read yeah. three books a month and I'll, I'll definitely read 10 articles a day if not more so that's 300 a month um you read 10 articles a day yeah i i, I start my day reading articles i I'm, I'm really good at at saving articles that pop up that in, mm-hmm. in various like social media feeds or if i'm reading yeah. I, I love email newsletters that that certain mm-hmm. people send out that recommend books and yep. and so i just hit i use google keep which is like Evernote, but the free thing from Google to just like hit a button on my browser and, and save an article for later. And essentially, I'm never bored because I can always, I always have a list of like good long form reading, like mm-hmm. online articles um, waiting for me. Do you ever have to dump things from that list? Uh, no, I, if it goes on the list, I, I will always take a real look at it. But, you know, if I read a few paragraphs and I think it's, it's not worth sure. my time, then I'll just stop. But, but no, it's you're, no. You're an inbox zero guy, right? I like, am an inbox, in, inbox so, zero guy. 
So is your reading list also kind of like an inbox that you keep at zero? No, I'm really chill about the reading list. It, it can grow <laughs> long and fat and, and I'm like, great, the, even better for me. Cause I feel no pressing obligation to, to read things. It's just like, I, I pull from it whenever I have the time and inclination. Mm -hmm. We have a very good relationship. My, my list of articles. And, and nice. Like, That's like, great. We're going well, <laughs> strong, yeah. like yep. solid decade long relationship. Wow. Using the same program? I think so. Um, so that's, a, I, that's okay. That's a really ingrained habit then. That's, yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah, it is. I also keep a list on, on Google Keep of like books to read. And so anytime that somebody recommends a book to me, uh, I will just put it on that list. Or maybe I'll go to the Amazon page and I'll save the link to the Amazon page. And, because that's one of my, my greatest fears and regrets is if somebody recommends a book that they think would be perfect for me and, and I forget <clears throat> about it. I, I just let it mm -hmm. float out of my head. I consider that a, yeah. a, a moral sin and, and an unforgivable transgression. I, I, I do too, but I'll just do it anyway and then feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I just live with regret every day, Blake. Yeah, more or less. No, but how do you how do you find stuff that you read? Is it by, is it through Twitter? Is it, do, do you follow email newsletters? Like, do, do you go to, we haven't talked about libraries and bookstores yet, but like, do, do you idly browse? Is that a habit of yours? Um, in terms of finding books, I'm in a, I'm in a book club. Um, we usually come up with, or the others will recommend interesting books. Um, I definitely have like a mental list of things that I want to read. Um, but I often forget it the second I finish the thing that I'm currently reading. Um, so then it'll go a couple of days and somebody will mention something and I'll be like, oh, well, that'll be the thing that I read next. And then I'll, you know, try to track it down at the library or something. Um, but, so um, hap haphazard, like unpredictable. Pretty much. I, I, you know, I definitely have some like directions I want to go. Like, uh, there's the, the three body problem. Um, I, you know I tried twice and, and oh, I, really? I could not, I could not do it. I know it's oh, popular, but go, go on. Well, I know I'll get there. I, I I haven't even started yet, but there's a, um, my friend Reinhardt, every time I see him, he's like, oh, hey, I'm going to get you the three body problem the next time I see you. And, uh, and he's been promising to lend it to me for like a year and a half. And one day he will. And one day I'll read it. Um, so he's primed you. That, that's how you get on Liam's reading list. You just yeah. ping, 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 ping. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll bring it up with him too. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm, I'm interested in reading about it, like partially because I think it's an interesting story, but I also just kind of want to get to know modern Chinese pop media better. So um, some of it will, you know, be uh, influenced by that. Like well, right now in the book club that I'm in, um, we're reading Mutual Aid by Peter Kropotkin, mm -hmm. and um, uh, I selected that book for our reading group or for our book club, um, and I, I haven't read much like late 19th century Russian political philosophy, so um, that was on my list, and um, I actually happened to get um, for Christmas my uh, partner Fia gave me this beautiful newly illuminated um edition of 
mutual aid that was that was illuminated illustrated and illuminated i, I was about um, to say does it come with lighting does it like led lights when you open it up no it's it's not that type of lumen it's like illumination like the medieval term of um decorating not illustrating but decorating pages like around the edges oh, of the pages cool. and I, the I, first letter nice i had no idea that that word existed in that context cool oh ah, yeah 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 um, yeah. Do you read anything uh, in paper form beyond books? Like, do you read print magazines anymore? Do you ever read a physical newspaper? Yeah, I read uh, my local newspaper quite a lot. Uh, What's it called? Week. Just so people know. It's called Aarhus Wednesday. Um, <laughs> I well, thought you were say of... something interesting in Danish. That, come on. <laughs> well, uh, it's, yeah, it's called Aarhus Wednesday on the one side, and then you flip it over and it's called Lokalavisen the local newspaper. Um, it's like a very, very literally titled newspaper. Um, but it'll have articles about um, people are upset about speed bumps on this road or um, some new restaurant opened up or um, some, you know, it'll, it'll go up to like city politics and it'll go down to um, this kindergarten, you know, found a squirrel with two heads or something. <laughs> Uh, and it's great. And pretty much every week I see somebody that I know in the paper. Um, and um, whenever I'm doing any kind of event in the city, I send them a press release and they um, pretty much copy and paste it into the newspaper and oh, print wow. it as I wrote it. Wow. Uh, so I feel grateful to them for that. Um, and uh, and I think it's, you know, it's really good to know what's going on in the city where I live. I'm trying to get involved like politically here. Uh, I'm on a neighborhood city or a neighborhood council's traffic advisory board um so if there's stuff about traffic which there always is um i try to tie that to you know the um the stuff that i'm yeah. doing politically it, you know as a quasi-permanent traveler i i am genuinely jealous of of this aspect of your life mm. Liam, because i find myself reading i i have subscriptions to the atlantic and harper's and the new york times and and so I'm reading stuff about like big, like world or country level or maybe state level issues. And to just to read about like kindergartners who find a squirrel with two heads, like that just doesn't <laughs> happen in my life very sure. often. Or to be able well, to like find contribute. Lots of, yeah. Right. You can find lots of things like that online, but they're not really that interesting unless it's like, oh, I I ride my bike past that kindergarten yeah. You know, yeah, once yeah, a yeah. week. And exactly. Then, yeah. 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 Uh, there's there's something that I believe you read regularly uh, that you have failed to mention, Liam. Involves, that's right. Involves a, another previous guest on this podcast, the uh, His Royal Highness uh, Ethan Mitchell, who yep. writes the Hebdomadary. Which would you consider this an email newsletter? I think I think the word newsletter is thrown around, but it's not really news. I I call it a weekly or. It's not really weekly anymore. A, I call it a, 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 a essay, an essay collection. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's up to the author to, to say what it is. Sometimes there is news about what's going on on the farm and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that is definitely my favorite thing to read. Um, yeah. Like a personal friend who writes really interesting essays about, about weird stuff. Uh, like it's so hard to find someone like this. It's so hard to find this source of reading in your life. It's kind of the, for me, like reading articles about interesting stuff uh, in these, these major publications 
is great. But reading articles about interesting stuff written by someone Definitely. who I know and, and who drops little like hints or references that I might pick up every once in a while is so, so pleasurable. And, and I feel like that's a really rare thing now, nowadays, just to have somebody who yeah. drops into your email inbox every few weeks and says, here's something cool I wrote, you might pick up on some of the references. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a couple of um, friends like my old friend Rochelle, who I always wished would write a blog. Because um, I know they're always reading really interesting things and doing interesting things. And, um, you know, I'm probably not going to read all the same books that they are. But if they write a couple of paragraphs about the thing they just read, then I'll definitely read that. So, because uh, yeah, because I trust them. Let's talk about blogs for a second. Blogs were much bigger in the late 90s, or maybe first decade of the 2000s. And mm -hmm. people regularly, uh, I don't know if I can say that universally, more people were familiar with how to follow blogs and more people were attuned to using things like RSS readers, to, mm -hmm. like Google Reader, rest in peace, uh, to follow many people's blogs at the same time. And I still love blogs and I have a, a different RSS reader to follow some called Feedly. And, but do you still follow anyone's blogs? Like, it seems so hard to do it if you don't have a way for the content to get pushed to you, if you have to remember to go to someone's website to, to see if there's updates. Yeah, I have a couple um, that come into my inbox, but um, I pretty much just archive them right away. Uh, <laughs> why, <laughs> because why, I, why do you even subscribe to them? Well, out of the, you know, I think out of having this vision of myself of somebody who's you know leisurely sitting and going through mails and saying oh you know um here's this <laughs> newsletter from this web developer i'll you know i'll see what they're up to um i think usually i'm kind of more in a rush when going through um my inbox and then if somebody's somebody i know has sent me an article or if say uh, i'm so lucky to have received a hebdomadary that day i'll like you know star it and keep it uh for you know that evening or something Ooh, to read. the illustrious gmail star a great yeah. honor yeah uh, for those of you who want to learn more about ethan mitchell and the hebdomadary please go find that podcast episode um liam do you um do you read many books at the same time or are you a uh a one at you know, at a time purist. No, I, I usually, I try to keep, um, keep a book of nonfiction and a book of fiction going at the same time. Um, you know, for, for each of those moods. Uh, but I, I, if I'm not, if I'm not like, if I don't have a deadline for the nonfiction, it kind of, uh, it often will sit, um, yeah, so like the, 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 word I'm looking the, for. the climate will have appreciably changed since the last time you opened it up. Precisely, yeah. Um, um, I, I yeah, I find it very difficult to read two novels, uh, two pieces of literature at at the same time. Um, like my brain has space for one major story arc, but I can read four or five nonfiction books at the same time, especially if they're mm. in like different categories different you know one's about environment one's about history and one's one's about politics yeah. that's interesting hmm. i'll i'll do um if i'm late since the pandemic started um uh, Fee, my partner and i will read books aloud to each other and so you know i can have two works of fiction going at the same time if one of them's like a book i'm reading aloud and one ah. is one that i'm reading to myself 
that that is such a lovely practice to like yeah. hang out with someone who will read a book to you because it takes a long time to do that. Like that's a serious commitment. It does. We if you're just going to get through a book. We just did his dark materials. All what? three. What? Yeah. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I uh, I I um I gave uh, the golden compass to um, my, our my friend uh, who our friend Amos Blanton. Um, his son turned 11 and I was like, ah, perfect. Age. I know what he needs to read. Yeah. Um, and that's when I saw that the second book of dust had come out and then I like kind of dove uh, head first mm -hmm. back into those. Let's talk about rereading because I mentioned that his dark materials is one of those, those rare series that I've actually read multiple times, but in general, I, I'm not a, a rereader. It's like, unless there are specific notes or quotes that I want to go back and access. Just going back through a book, uh, you know, the whole thing over again, that's like a, a very great honor. I have done that with mm -hmm. um, Kerouac. I mean, really just the, the, the Dharma Bums. Um, another book that was super influential on me um, as a traveler called Vagabonding uh, and mm. the book Into the Wild also. Mm. And maybe some of the education books, but like very few get a reread do, do you do you do something similar one and done i i definitely as a as a teenager i definitely reread a lot um a fiction a fiction yeah huh. um but i think in the i don't know last decade i have not been rereading very much yeah. um mostly just because i uh have less time for yeah. reading and so i you know want to expand what do you think motivated you to reread as a kid reread these fiction books like was it a way to like better process the story now that you knew where it was going to go no I, I think it was more like the the immersion in the feeling of the story mm -hmm. or of the characters mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah i think i mean i just think that um well i don't know i i grew up without a tv uh, and i grew up with a with the radio playing uh more or less constantly wnyc the like uh, New York public radio station. Oh, so you grew up um, in 1930. Cool. I, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I, I've noticed that I'm always much more kind of emotionally affected by audio stories than by video stories. Um, like I can see the, uh, uh, if I see a, a, like a TV news story about, you know, a, school shooting or something like that it really will not kind of touch me as deeply as if i hear it on the radio um and i think a part of that is that when you get something through your ears just like and i would you know compare this to reading to a certain extent right um you have to kind of fill in the blanks in your imagination and it you know then can become more real in a way than if you're just seeing it so just following that line of argument, do you have any concern about uh, what what appears to be a, a decline in the, the amount of, of book reading that, or even, you know, audiobook reading that, that, uh, that the kids these days uh, do as compared to short form <laughs> reading on uh, through social media or, you know, I think TikTok is, is a wonderful example of 
of where things are, are going, um, or just watching a lot of videos, just you know, watching video content as a way to to gather information instead of uh, reading, and especially reading long form content. Do you, do you have any any worries about what what seems to be a pretty evident trend in that direction? Yeah, to a, definitely to a certain extent. Um... I think I, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit out of touch with the kids these days, uh, especially the kids these days in the U.S. Um, but uh, definitely some of that skepticism just comes from the way that a lot of pop media and platforms are designed to, you know, really monopolize people's time. There's a ton of very smart people in Silicon Valley that are dedicating all of their time to just designing things in a way. Uh, to get people to spend just a few more seconds or minutes on their platform, right? Um, so, uh, where was and, I going with this? Well, in addition to that, like, do you find it much more difficult to sit down and read a book for an hour without distraction uh, today? Then, then, <laughs> I, I think it's unfair to compare this to when we were reading it as kids. That's that's kind of a whole different yeah. whole different world, but. But even just reading ten years ago, um, like I, I it it's physically difficult for me to like undertake the the important act of putting my phone on do not disturb and putting it in a different room, so that like that when the little moment happens, which happens every few minutes essentially of of my waking day, when I think like maybe there's something important I need to check for for some. You know, reason which is probably not that important. It really can wait an hour, but it feels so pressing. Um, so my life as as a book reader, I continue to read books, but it's with constant little um, zone outs. Um, I'm pretty good at not letting those zone outs like reach into the minutes or 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 you know double digits of minutes. But still, it, it's happening. Has this been your experience too? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Um... But I think uh, another thing that can affect that, at least it affects that for me, is living with a partner. Um, and so... Um, I don't understand. Can you flesh that out? Um, yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Fia, we're about to throw you under the bus here. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's also harder to to dedicate time to reading when living with a partner uh, because there's uh, a lot of things to discuss and coordinate around cooking dinner and um, planning social lives and things like that. Um, so oh, okay. that's not in... the direction I, I thought you were going to go. I thought, I thought you were going to say that she keeps you honest by, by pointing out when you keep distracting yourself on a phone, when you say you're going to be reading, but it sounds like what you're saying is just that relationships take time and energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And um, and because of the that the because of our work schedules, I think the time that we spend together is also the time overlaps with the time that I spend reading. Um, so do I you think, find, but uh, having a partner does that give you better reading habits in any way? Like, are, are you are you nudged in that direction? Like, if if you're, I guess this could be a, a friend also who you're you're hanging out with frequently. Like, do you have discussions about books and things you're reading, and, and that incentivizes you to to read more when you you might otherwise get uh, distracted on Twitter? Hmm. I 
think having certain I think having having friends that also read a lot who I see infrequently I think supports uh, uh, my reading habits because uh-huh. uh, if it goes if it if there's two weeks between um, times when I see a friend if I've, I've, I've finished a book since then and then have that to talk about with them uh, that's definitely a motivating factor yeah um, and you know that that'll be a question that comes up like what have you been reading right precisely yeah yeah uh, um, good point yeah uh liam i think we should move on to uh one question that is uh, dear to both of our hearts and then another question that will hopefully embarrass both of us um the first one being what what's the role of bookstores in your life now, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have like a, a strong feelings about bookstores that uh uh, anyways, I want you to go first, though, please. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. I love bookstores. I um, when when we started this call, we had uh, video turned on, and I didn't realize until my own camera turned on that I was wearing a T-shirt from a bookstore um, uh, from Firestorm back in Asheville, uh, which is definitely one of my favorite bookstores in the world. That's a bookstore where I definitely looked around and found a lot of things that I wanted to read, just in dialogue with the staff and like looking at staff picks. And, um, and just looking at the covers of books in the ways that they had uh, sorted them. Um, now, I guess I'll, I'll just use Asheville as a um, reference point because it's the last place I lived in the U.S. where they sell a lot of English books. Um, there's also a great used bookstore, Downtown Books and News uh, downtown, where I was always looking out for like DIY books, like books that are guides to making things. Mm, um, mm-hmm. uh, partially for indoor, partially just because I... Um, the yeah, Agile so Learning Center have... that you created? Exactly. Yeah, I was always working on the um, our kind of resource library there. Um, because, um, you know, there are things... I was actually was just uh, talking to... Uh... Yeah, there... There are things that you can find in books that you can find on the internet, but they can be really hard to find on the internet. Like, uh, like book, like if you want to learn some specific carpentry technique, um, and you can't go to a carpenter to learn it from them, you might be able to find something about it on YouTube, or you might be able to find an article. Uh, but there's just going to be so much trash you have to sift through to get yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but if you just go to a bookstore or to a library and look in their, you know, do-it-yourself section. Um, some publisher, you know, will have really spent a lot of time collecting the relevant information, putting it together in one book. Um, so and like for something like, like carpentry, also like having a, a book you can just have cracked open there, and and you know, nice illustrations, nice steps, like. I think that's still easier than trying to navigate through a YouTube video and going back and forth and back and forth. Um, there are some things that, yeah. that books YouTube... are definitely more, have more utility than YouTube videos, which are wonderful, but they're yeah. not, they're not great for everything. Yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of like tips and tricks and stuff. I think you can learn, um, on YouTube. Um, but yeah, getting kind of getting in depth or like getting like, detailed instructions about things um there are just tons of really great books out there they don't have any ads 
and you could just you know ads, you could... ads are horrible yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and there's also no you know there's no like clickbait so, so many of the websites that exist now right are just there to up the ratings of other websites right yeah. or or they're there to sell ads right um yeah. so but I, I was trying i was trying to make um uh, curtain rods that's what it's called curtain rods recently and i spent like 15 minutes trying to find a good guide or like a collection of different designs online um, and there's just so many like crap diy websites that really had basically no information you know they had a couple of pictures um but then it was mostly just ads um and then you know things that would link to another website that would up mm -hmm. the seo mm -hmm. of you know that website mm -hmm. um so i ended up just you know coming up with something on my own but um had i had i access to a really good library um or english Wait, wait. Uh, had I had I access to a, a good bookstore? Nice, a good bookstore. That's the word. Then I probably would have gone there, <laughs> or I would have already had the book. Yeah, you're making me think of Lonely Planet guidebooks, which are not only just so visually appealing. Does that that big rack of blue covers um, mm -hmm. in the travel section of a bookstore, but but trying to to gather complete travel advice for a certain country or region online you just go through so many trashy websites and, and articles that are just trying to sell you things that are that are promoted you know go to this certain place buy this certain travel tool and it's yeah and and lonely planets are have you know travel guidebooks in general you could have a whole critique about them but i still use them although nowadays i might just go on to their website and purchase individual pdf chapters and, uh, ah, well, and reference cool. them on my on my laptop instead of actually carrying the, the heavy book around. Yeah. Hmm. And as a fre frequent tra traveler, I use a Kindle um, as mm -hmm. much as I can, despite my deep love of uh, feeling books, smelling books. And I, I don't know what the appropriate term for this kind of binding is, Liam. Maybe you know this, but the books that have, it's more often novels, um, that they kind of have a jagged edge on the... Uh, the, the far edge of the pages so ah, yeah. when you look at it, it kind of goes up and down like a mountain range mm -hmm. and, and it's yeah. actually not that easy to flip to a specific page you have to more leaf through them i love yeah. those books like yeah. kindle will never be able to recreate that and and yeah. when they do i will sign up for the metaverse you know i'm in <laughs> uh, let's talk about books we have loved in the past that we now are kind of embarrassed by. And mm. I, instead of putting you on the spot, Liam, I will go first. <laughs> I volunteer <Yeah>. as tribute. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. First, there's a, a business book, uh, very famous, The 4-Hour Workweek, which I read right after it, it came out, I think in 2007. I actually used many elements of that book in my first book, College Without High School, uh, hmm. I, there's even a, I think a subchapter in college without high school called like the, the, the six hour school week or, or something like that, making the argument that you, you know, do all your important academic stuff in, in just a few hours a week and spend the rest of your time unschooling and going on adventures and doing stuff out in the real world. Um, and it, I don't know how you feel, but 
any book that I loved in the past and now feel kind of embarrassed by it, it's, it's always with a mixture of emotions. It's, it's like there are always elements of these books that I still love and I still, you know, defend. And for example, in the four hour work week, um, I was introduced to the concept of taking mini retirements. And Tim Ferriss, the author, essentially said, stop planning to, to you know, work all the best years of your life and then go retire. Instead, take these these like multi-month mini retirements spaced out mm. through your whole life. And I, you know, it was a way to, to validate my desire to never have a, a normal full-time <laughs> job. And I'm still appreciative to him uh, for that. But then there's all these other aspects of the book that just feel so smarmy to me now, like hiring all these, these, you know, virtual helpers from India to like, mm. you know, answer your emails for you. And, and, Anyways, there's just aspects of the book that are that are very kind of materialistic and money grubbing, and and I I don't feel totally proud, but I can't totally write the book off either. Um, let's see, another one uh, is uh, I had a serious Ayn Rand phase. This was like mm -hmm. early to mid twenties. I, I think when I was in high school, one of the optional uh, reading summer reading books was Anthem, which is her shortest book and, and probably her least like controversial book. It's, you know, it's a dystopian future in which everyone just has a number and, and you're not allowed to say the word like I. So it's, you know, uber collectivist dystopia. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, that's okay. And then I think uh, nudged uh, in this direction by my dad, I picked up The Fountainhead and was like, ah, this was like, okay. And then, and then I read Atlas Shrugged, and I remember uh, reading somewhere that in, in some major survey of American readers that Atlas Shrugged is like the number two most, I don't know if it's like most popular or, or rated most influential book behind like the Bible uh, in America. And I was like, I got to give this book a chance. And I mean, what a beast. That thing's like more than a thousand pages of, mm. of, of novel, which is often not well written it's just like it's blocky there's a reason that people say like oh that's a book that like 17 year olds read and then they grow up um from a literature standpoint i, I definitely see the critique but from a, a sort of political philosophy standpoint when I, I was curious to hear like the best possible defenses of of capitalism and of you know more like conventional economic notions and i still think that, that no one has done a, a better job of, of communicating these, these basic ideas, um, and especially basic economic ideas, ideas about money, uh, and, and kind of the ideal of, of what a, a capitalist, a, you know, a classic liberal society could be. I, I think that no one has, has done a better job than her. And so this is that this relationship I have, again, with, with these books. Like, I'm a bit embarrassed to say that this was an influential book on me, and at the same time, I still feel like like I have something to to defend there. All right, Liam, that that was my vulnerable moment. Uh, you you want to pile on here? You want to you want to yeah, give some of course, crap? of course. I uh, so I've I've wanted to read Ellis Shrugged for a really long time uh, because I think that I probably disagree with a lot of it. But I, I'm curious, what what do you? I, let's talk about it after I've read it. <laughs> okay. Um. I so yeah. I when when I saw this question, a book that jumped out at me was Anti Fragile. Um, uh, Nassim, Nassim Taleb. Taleb. Yeah, yeah, 
but like I I started reading it and was just like super into it. I got it at Firestorm, the bookstore previously mentioned, um, that had at the time a cafe attached to it. So I would like work out of my laptop there um, one day a week or something. And um, where I picked it up there and like read the first chapter and was just like super into it. And I kept on saying to people like, oh, you gotta check out this book. It's sick. It's like, it's about this idea that, you know, um, some things when you uh, stress them, they become stronger instead of breaking. Um, it's like the reverse of fragility. And then um, I read like another chapter of it and then was sitting next to somebody on a bus who, who also happened to be reading it. And I was like, oh, you're also reading this book. It's, it's great, right? And she was like, oh, uh, is it? And then I was like, huh, okay, she's not that into it. Um, and I like, that was like the first crack. And then I read a couple more chapters and was just like, oh God, this is like, where is he going with this? Like suddenly it turned into a bunch of like investing advice. Um, and then <laughs> I suddenly was just like. It's in such a compelling way, right? Oh, and it really is. Yeah. It's like great, like snappy phrases and, and the chapter yeah. titles. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and then I suddenly was like, oh, I've just like, I've just tied my reputation to this book and like, <laughs> and like told a whole bunch of people that I know and respect that I think this is really cool. Um, so I, then I kind of stopped reading it. I never finished it. Um, but I hope that all of the people I recommended it to didn't read it. <laughs> um, anyway, then I guess, uh, another one would maybe be Infinite Jest. David Foster Wallace, uh, considered a classic. Why be embarrassed, Liam? I guess just because it's like, ah, like a couple of years after I read it, uh, like I kept on seeing memes about people who talked about having read it. Because um, it's like, it's really big. It's a big book and there's lots of footnotes and it's kind of hard to get through. Um, and I think a lot of people that read it maybe like talk about the fact that they've read it a lot. Um, and then it just made me want to like never mention that I never read. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I've never read Ulysses by James Joyce, mm -hmm. but I feel like this is one of those books that's just so long and difficult that people just name drop it to flex on others to to be like, look at what mm -hmm. a, a badass reader I am. It, it, did you feel like you were being associated with this this crowd of uh, people who flex with, with saying they read long books? Yeah, I yeah. Or, Pretty much, and it was actually the the book was recommended to me by uh, an old friend, um, Dave Thomas, uh, who he said like, I read this book and you know, don't be an asshole about it or like don't be a dick about it. <laughs> and so, Great so I think from Dave. the very beginning, yeah, from <laughs> from the very beginning, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, I think this is probably a book that people obnoxiously talk about, um, and so I definitely tried to do that as yeah. well as possible yeah otherwise i'm embarrassing i'm trying to think of what else there's probably some like yeah some of those like british teen novels i read as a teenager that would be maybe embarrassed about um i've got one more yeah there's a, a book by this anarchist collective called crime think uh mm -hmm. and the title is days of war nights of love and i i put this book in the this is like the anarchist version of like Ayn Rand. Um, it's not literature, but it's more like, like 
like practical suggestions for like kind of kind of <laughs> how to like steal stuff, how to how to be <laughs> like a, a cru- anarchist crust punk essentially, and with like these kind of light kind of activism prescriptions, nothing that would that would really like you know force you to yeah. dedicate your life to activism, but just more like Mary Brinkster style mm-hmm. uh, stuff, and and what I'm embarrassed by is that. I didn't read this book at like age 16, which I think would be much more excusable, but I was like, I was like 23 or 24. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to go steal soy milk. And I, and like, just like half a second later, I was like, wait, what am I doing? Like, I, I was totally convinced by this book that like doing this stuff, which, which I don't consider ethical is, you know, is pretty cool. Like let's, let's Mm -hmm. go stick it to the man. Uh, yeah. it, it was just way too far down that, that way for me. And, and I was way too old to be like taking that stuff seriously. I, I bought that book as a, as a teenager, I think, but I never read it. Oh, well, but you can always now, go back. I'll, you can always be convinced. I can, to, yeah. To shop now, now I'm, uh, <laughs> for sure. That, that I would, will reform but the system. The, isn't kind of the, the reverse or the, the anarchist version or not version, the, Kind of antithesis to Atlas Shrugged is The Dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin, isn't it? I I wish I'd read more Ursula K. Le Guin, Mm. and and I have not. I I can't believe we haven't talked about her until now. I think she's maybe my favorite author. Wow. Uh, And The the Dispossessed is, is, um, I think, one of her best books. Um, That's kind of about this... um, it's a it's a work of sci-fi it's about these people who live on this kind of barren planet but they live in a in a what she calls an ambiguous utopia of of mutual aid and free association uh, so it's it paints this really beautiful and complex picture of kind of what a um you know what a fully anarchist or fully communist um society could look mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. um and it and it goes down into details um, that I definitely spent a lot of time like talking about as a teenager with people, and I, I wish I had read this book then, because um, to the question of like you know who's going to take out the trash, um, she suggests that every tenth day, um, even if you're a you know physics professor, which the main character in this book is, uh, you spend a day doing work like taking out the trash Uh, because it's got to be like nobody necessarily wants to dedicate their life to it but it's got to be done um so having like chore days but on a you know national level yeah yeah well uh, we we can discuss this (laughs) separately from the podcast (laughs) Uh, uh, my mom recommended ursula k leguin to me and maybe Mm. even the dispossessed and i think she even got me the book when i was Mm. a teenager and i just didn't read it and i was like too busy reading michael Crichton or something and mm-hmm. uh, and I feel bad, but this makes me realize two things. One, having parents that will recommend specific books that don't suck to you, like mm-hmm. what a what a game changer, like what what a true privilege. And I, both my mom and my dad filled those roles. Totally. Um, yeah, it sounds like in very different ways too. If your dad suggested uh, Ayn Rand and your mom <laughs> suggested <laughs> Ursula Le Guin, there's definitely some different perspectives there. Uh, and then the the second thing that I just remembered is. Um, when we were talking about bookstores, um, I grew up in the '90s when Barnes and Noble and Borders 
were, mm-hmm. were huge and expanding and competing with each other. And these stores with tens of thousands of square feet of retail space for, for books were just so common. And there's still Barnes & Noble in the U.S. right now, but there's not as many. Borders is out of business. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Amazon is, is the reason, long story short. And, and, and I remember the feeling that it was different from a library feeling, but the feeling of wandering through the aisles of a, of a Barnes and Noble, um, like, and these sections would be so big. The science section would be, you know, 10 feet mm-hmm. long with, with, you know, five, five racks, uh, vertical of, of books. Like it was, and it was all, they were all new books in a way that I couldn't find in a library. Like there'd be a few new titles, but usually the new titles were already checked out and you, it's more difficult mm-hmm. to get them. And, and so th- those kinds of, of big box retail stores had such a profoundly positive influence on me. And, and especially since my parents were like, essentially, if they were convinced that I was going to read a book, they would buy the book for me. You know, <laughs> I, I wasn't bringing home, you know, fancy hardcover, you know, coffee table books that cost $60, you know, pa- paperback <laughs> books. I had essentially an, an unlimited allowance for those. And so what, what a perfect incentive system. Yeah. Liam, let, let's talk about some some little tiny nitty gritty things. Uh, do you write yeah. inside your paperback books? I I really want to, uh, but usually <laughs> I'm just like not sitting in a way that is conducive to that. Um, but you know what? I did write quite a lot in Infinite Jest when I was reading. Here I go talking about it. Um, Jeez, because uh, there's a bunch of uh, the book that's in French and. Um, you know, just like some conversations here and there. And so I like took out my phone and got out the Google Translate app and just like wrote word for word all of these French sentences, translated them to English, and then wrote them in the page margins so that whoever uh, read the book next wouldn't it's have to do very that. Very thoughtful. Uh, it, was, I was, it was kind of a nice like exercise to do while reading it too, but... um so aside no, from I, translating I really, French, do, do you write like notes to yourself? Do you do you annotate? I want to, and I've told myself like, oh, you should, you know, at the at the back of the book, you should, you know, write some notes. Um, and uh, I just don't, I don't, but not because I think it's wrong or anything like. That. I actually, I, I really appreciate um, finding other people's notes and stuff mm, like that. When yeah, I, yeah, find them yeah. in. I always write if I'm giving a book as a gift. I always write a little dedication in the in the beginning yeah yeah i like writing um just little uh words or notes on the side so i can quickly flip through and and Mm. find Mm -hmm. a specific reference and but i don't highlight books and i don't underline sentences but i will draw a vertical line um along the the side of a block of text if i wanted to to Ah. easily reference it and I'll do that a... liberally. I'll just keep doing it, and then when I go yeah. back through the book later, I can I can really easily find the stuff that felt most compelling to me. That's a really unobnoxious way of doing that. I, I, I yeah. Sometimes if I'm reading a used book and like somebody's underlined text, that will bother me. Yeah. Or or it's, highlighting too. It's hard to underline well. You end up like doing strike yeah. through for half of the text, yeah. and then you're just an asshole. Yep. You think you're as good as a word processor, but you're not. <laughs> Um, do you hold on to books? Do you, do you do you nest with your your book collection, or do you do you give them away? I do because um, I really like being able to reference them and lend them. Um, mm. 
Mm-hmm. And um and for a lot of my life I've been like collecting books for um the educational institution that I'll open one day or open again one day. <laughs> um so I I keep books for that purpose, but um like moving across the Atlantic three times is not super conducive to uh collecting books. So I most of my books are like in boxes in my uh, parents' basement in Connecticut. Um, but uh, the books that I have amassed here, I I will keep until maybe one day I won't anymore. But for the most part, I I, uh, I keep and lend. Yeah. I, I love lending. And I, I am much more likely to read a book if it's been lent to me. Um, mm-hmm. It just feels like there's a natural time constraint there, so that that's a good yeah. uh, accountability life hack, right there, Liam. Yeah. For uh... I sometimes I'll even buy it, like I um oh you know what I lent this to you I think as a matter oh. of fact uh I there was a book about um it was called the trans I think it's called the transportation power structure or something and it's really thin so I bought like three or four copies of it just so I could lend them out to people. Um, I thought it was kind of an eye-opening book about how uh, urban development is influenced by um, cars specifically and how class plays into that. Um, I think your critique was, uh, if I remember correctly, I don't know if you remember this, that it was written in like very leftist insider language. Uh, yes, the, the master's degree requirement in order to, to, to pierce even one paragraph. I, I am pretty harsh on, on anything written in, in such language. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't academic. It was like it was for the it was for the people who had read uh, Days of Love, Nights of War. Ah, I think. Okay. Yeah. Who also Just maybe to its have own type of academic. Degrees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Th- this conversation has gone on longer than than I anticipated. We. Uh, you are the perfect guest for this episode, Liam. I don't know about that, Blake. <laughs> Do you, Listen, how much... I could have had Ethan on, but the, he would just intimidate people. Like, <sighs> man's an alien. Ha- <laughs> no, but he really... Oh, wait. Yeah, why did... Why did you have Listen... him talk about reading? He reads... I would... You know what? I feel like there's more to learn from him talking about reading, though. Listen, again, please go check out the Ethan Mitchell uh, episode uh, about being uh, a polymath. But uh, I've got you, Liam, and you have started uh, an Agile Learning Center. You've worked with a lot of teen unschoolers. You've worked with uh, teens at Not Back to School Camp. And, of course, you were unschooled yourself. And so I want to wrap this up by talking a little bit about reading and the overlap with self-directed education and, hmm. and unschooling. I actually want to start with um, higher education. I wanted to start talking about college. Um, and you uh, d- never went to college. You, you've, you've dropped in on, on some college level things, but you've, you did not mm-hmm. do a, a bachelor's uh, degree. Um, I recently heard someone describe the, the liberal arts college experience. So like not going for um, you know, a science or highly technical um, degree, but the broad liberal arts experience as essentially being a system to incentivize young people to read and to discuss hard books. And when I read that, I thought that's true. That, that feels very true to me. Um, it's at the end, kind of like your recursion theory about your, your life here. Like there's lots of stuff Mm -hmm. that might happen in academics and college, but it seems like at the root 
um, what people are going there for is to be to be put in this environment that I won't use the word force, but you know, heavily incentivizes and and promotes reading and discussing difficult books that you're much less. You know, this is what we'll talk about. You, you are less likely to read and discuss, or or even find opportunities to read and dis- to to discuss in um, you know life outside of the uh, higher education institution. How how does this strike you? And from your perspective, as someone who has uh, read a lot, and in my opinion, is, is good at reading hard books, and it did not go through higher education, uh, you know, does, does it, how do you think this can be reproduced if this is what college is selling at, at the end of the day? I mean, I think there are, like, there are, there definitely are strategies for this, um, like, you know, committing to keeping a blog where you write about each book that you read or joining a book club. Um, but then it's, it just becomes a, another question of how to, you know, continuously motivate yourself to read hard things. Um, and if you just pile more work on top of that, it can even get harder, right? Like, oh, now I have to read this. I have to read Foucault and write about it and like publish a blog post about it. Um, so I, I, that's like, like it's easy to give up on, on that. Like you can have these lofty yeah. ideals as a self-directed learner to, to read a, a book every month and to write a blog post about it. But at the end of the day, are you saying you see some value in, in the external motivation system that, that people sign up for with, with college in, in this regard? Yeah, definitely. Just because of the, I mean, I mean definitely because that's currently the the water that we swim in, right? Um, yeah, if you want to find people who want to discuss, read and discuss these books, then college is probably the best place to go to find them. Like it's 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 more difficult to convene a book club of people who have the the mo- motivation and the free time to to discuss yeah. the, these yeah. kinds of books. Like if there are really. If, like if there's an important field related or if there's if you want to read more within a field that you're working in um you know maybe and you're like really spiteful you can motivate yourself um to read books and then call out you know your colleagues and um to call out your boss by uh, having read something that they should have read. I don't know if I can <laughs> ethically happened. promote this as a, a reading strategy, Liam, but I'll take your word for it. No, I, I, I feel like I didn't really deliver that very well. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's for the best. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Blake. Good question. <laughs> okay. Um, too good. <laughs> too good. Um, okay. Well, now let's talk about the the K through twelve realm, um, and you ran an agile learning center in Asheville, North Carolina for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and you've worked at Mount back to school camp. And my, my question for you essentially is like, how foundational do you think reading and the love of reading? And again, this, we can be talking about books. We can be talking about other forms of, of, of reading. How, how foundational is that for self-directed learners who want to, I'm not even sure what the metric is here, who want to be well-rounded, who want to, feel mm-hmm. like they know something about the world. You know, earlier we did our episode about who should unschool and who shouldn't. Uh, if, if someone has, uh, you know, zero desire 
to read and but maybe they still watch youtube videos let's say and and they are not part of any sort of you know educational system or school or or family that incentivizes reading like does that make you worried at all about about self-directed learning and self-directed learners to a certain extent yeah i think there's there's something special about the level of depth that you can get to in a subject by reading a book about it um, that you can't necessarily get to by watching a YouTube video or a string of YouTube videos. Um, and there's also something about, I think, like practicing uh, continued focus over a longer period mm -hmm. of time um, on getting to a, a deeper level of understanding of something. Um, and uh, like there's the the, we did a um, we did a workshop at Indoor once about newspapers, and um, I was so psyched at the end of the day when we kind of went around and did our reflections. Um, the one uh, person who came to my how to read a newspaper workshop checked out by saying, "Yeah, um, I learned how to." We're like why it's important to read newspapers and that's because they there's no um, recommendation algorithm in your newspaper and mm. you get to decide you know what you spend like what you find in the newspaper and, and spend time reading um and um he, he said it all right it seemed really profound when he said it um you know, like no, a, a digital profound. native kind of yeah. saying that, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I can just pick um, up a, a, a major newspaper and flip through it and decide yeah. what I want to read. Like it's yeah. it's not like based upon all your previous reading where now you, yeah. here's what you're going to read next. But and I think there's there's something about like being at a professional level, right? Uh, I mean, I, I do some work with the uh, university here and spend a lot of time just hanging out with academics. And, um, you know, they're just reading all the time. And so if you, you know, if you want to be at the cutting edge of some field, um, you, know, you kind of, there's not really a better way to be updated about it than to be reading journal articles and the books that people are publishing. I mean, even if it's down to like AI art, right? So if you're really into um gan algorithms that are you know computer programs that are making these weird paintings and things like that you you can get pretty far with podcasts and youtube videos um but if you want to be learning about the stuff that's going to be in a youtube video it, two years down the line that's already been published but it's in a journal article mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and somebody else will read it and then turn it into a you know easy to digest podcast maybe uh in two years um but it's kind of going to be old news by then so if you want to be really up to date um you know i think you need to follow people that are at the cutting edge of that field like that, that's one of the things that i really love about twitter is that people will post their own articles there right uh and the stuff that they're reading um, and then you can see what they're up to and what they're thinking about. Um, and so to, yeah, 
I think that's really well said. Like, if you want to be on the cutting edge of anything, I mean, t- to me, books are, are just like crystallized conversations with an author. Yeah. And, and for better or worse, that they're stuck at one moment in time. But to have a sustained conversation with a smart person who's going to lay out some complicated set of ideas or arguments like that you know, before the printing press that you really had to be part of the, 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 the privileged few to have access to the, uh, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. the, whoever the philosophers were. Um, and, and now, you know, that, that's just there. It's sitting there waiting for us in the form of books. And, and so if you want to find out what's going on in the world, that's cool. Or, or what's about to happen. You just, you need to have conversations with smart people. And that's just, that's what books represent. And, and they, and it's just like virtuous circle of, you know, you read, you, you kind of have these private conversations with the authors of the books. And that allows you to then participate in the contemporaneous discussion of what's going on. That lets you go to, to, Endor Agile Learning Center or not back to school camp and participate in a workshop about climate change because all of a sudden you you have some actual you know authority on the subject mm-hmm. and, and to me that's the most exciting you know part of all of this it's it's the reason to read you know because then you get to feel like you're participating in the interesting stuff that's going on in the world and if if you you don't read uh, then it just it limits it puts a cap on how much interesting stuff you get to access in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But maybe you and I are just dinosaurs already, Liam, and we're, we are just hey. expressing our biases towards the written word. And it's, I think it's, there's, I've, I think, um, publishing books is, is not the publishing a book is not the best way to communicate an idea. Um, doesn't that contradict you... everything we just said? What I'm getting at is like, if a if somebody wants to popularize an idea, um, and they have the resources, they're probably not just going to publish a book. They're going to make you know they'll make a string of YouTube videos. They'll make a podcast that's well produced. Maybe they'll make a documentary. Maybe they'll make an interactive website where you can interact with like the data that they're using, um, so that it's easier for people to get a hold of those ideas. Um, but most people don't have, or a lot of the people that are having really interesting ideas don't have the resources to make those interactive web yeah. pages. Yeah, the time or, or the know-how. Yeah. Or the, or... Right. And so what they're doing is publishing books. So if you want to know what they're thinking about, um, then you know the onus is kind of on you mm-hmm. to find mm-hmm. what they've written and read that. Mm-hmm. Liam, to wrap up, uh, as a, a grown unschooler and a late reader and, and now a, a, a frequent reader, do you have any advice for younger self-directed learners or, or unschoolers who are uh, perhaps still like reading cautious or, or reading skeptical? Like any advice about like why reading is awesome or, or how it's been the most fun uh, experience that it could be in your life? Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say reading is fun. Like, it's not, you know, it's not jumping through hoops in a video game. Uh, like, it's compelling and interesting. Uh, it's exposing yourself to new ideas and ways of thinking about things and and encountering situations that are described by authors. Um, so I would I would say, yeah, don't 
Don't look to reading to be fun. Look to it to be interesting. Do you have any favorite tools as a reader? Like, I don't know, a library card? Or... Yeah, definitely a library card. And I think a Twitter account. Mm. Uh, even just to alert, like, get a Twitter account. Um, you know, don't post anything, but um, find some people that are writing about a field that you find interesting and then find the people that are kind of at the cutting edge of that and see what they're posting and what they are reading themselves and oftentimes you can just ask them questions if there's something about their work that you don't understand or don't agree with um especially if you find somebody who is in a field who's writing about a field that you find interesting that you disagree with, read something they've written, and then comment a, a you know, a good question to something that they've published mm -hmm. on one of their tweets and see what happens. Liam Nelson, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on Off Trail Learning. Thanks for having me, Blake.